On this episode of AvTalk, Boeing halts production of the 737 MAX, Harbor Air's electric beaver takes flight, and we run down the list of airlines that didn't make it through 2019, and a few that could join that list very soon. Hello and welcome to episode 73 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here in Stockholm, in person with... Jason Rabinowitz. Hello. Hello, Jason. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. We're here in, in person. It's weird. We're speaking into uh, the same microphone in the same room and it, it's kind of throwing me off. I don't like it. No, because I have to see you. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's no good. It's it's. Uh, no. We should never do this again. Mm-hmm. It's agreed to never do this again. Okay, episode 73, done. Good, good talk. So uh, we, it's uh, Tuesday in uh, the 10th of December. So by the time this version of the podcast comes out, it, it will no longer be Tuesday and, and will in fact be the week following this week. Astute object. I'm just giving people some context about what they're listening to in case the news that we talk about today sounds rather old, but we'll, we'll try and keep it timeless as it were. We've got a good show this episode. We're going to talk in a little bit about airlines that didn't survive the year, some of the biggest stories of the year, and what we are looking forward to next year as some of the biggest stories in aviation and what we think is going to happen. But today we're we're just kind of uh, enjoying the post-snow weather in, in Stockholm where it's become sunny out and quite cold we're uh, Jason's been on the flight sim in the office today, so we're enjoying that. Uh, and and neither of us crashed the plane. Not yet. <laughs> the day is young. Yeah. Let's talk about how we got here, which is similar to years past in which we flew on an airplane. That's true. That's how one gets across the Atlantic for the most part. But this year, it worked out that we had a bit of a, a race to get to the airport. I left at about 4 p.m. Chicago time. You left at about 6 p.m. in, uh, in uh, New York? 5.50 departure time from Five. Newark. So Okay, from Newark. Yes, My not apologies. New Jersey, not no, New York. No, of course. And so uh, what that gets us is an arrival time in, in Stockholm at roughly the same time. And I beat you onto the runway by about, what, four minutes? Give or take. And then uh, it all worked out because I had checked a bag and a box of popcorn. Well, and apparently, then, it only uh, takes four minutes to claim your bag here no, in Stockholm. No, it, uh, it, uh, well, when you, when you pack a, a giant box of popcorn, what they do is they put yours out first, which I guess is always very helpful. So we got, uh, got our bags and got into the city, I think, in uh, record time. Nearly. It was pretty great. I was disappointed that I couldn't check the um, status of our, our race in flight because my aircraft Wi-Fi was broken. But I was hopeful I would win, but no such luck. No, no such luck. I, it was it was interesting to see you your landing lights behind us as we turned off the runway. Mm, uh, should have called for a go-around for your flight. <laughs> would have slotted in right behind us again. <laughs> right, come back right around. But we parked at a farther gate. So that mitigated the circumstances. Mm, I still lost. Uh, just a little bit, but you, you still lost because uh, I think it helped that I sprinted to the front of the immigration queue. Mm, you shouldn't have done that. So that was, I think, helpful to my cause. But we want, and no one had to drink the sludge coffee that at was, the yeah. coffee shop that we tried last year. There was, um, I've never had 
coffee that bad. It was bad. I don't know how you make coffee that bad. I'm not even sure it was coffee. It it, it was something that was supposed to be coffee but was not and, and tasted terrible. Did we even mention that we both flew SAS? No, we didn't. Oh, uh, yeah. But we did. We, so that we both flew SAS, which is uh, the only nonstop flight from Chicago. And the and only nonstop now flight the from only non-stop New York. flight from New York because, yeah. because of Norwegian's Norwegian, cutbacks. Yeah, Norwegian initially cut that back, I think, to a seasonal route, summer only, and now we'll cut it entirely, which is unfortunate. So this brings up a good point to apologize for our error last time. What we said was Norwegian was cutting long-haul flying from Scandinavia, and that was a an overgeneralization. They are not fully cutting long-haul flying from Scandinavia. They're cutting flying from Stockholm and Copenhagen, but they are keeping Oslo long-haul flying because I, I guess it would sound rather silly if a Norwegian airline didn't fly from Norway. I guess whatever remains profitable, they'll still do. Well, yeah, and, and so we talked a little bit about this last episode as far as what they're going to do with the the Heathrow slots, but now that we've looked at them, I still don't know what they're going to do. I don't think they know. Well, and, and that's They could just opt not to do it. They could return the slots. Would they, though? Maybe. I don't know if they're allowed to lease them to another airline. I don't know if that's a thing you can do when you're granted the slots without having to pay for them, but maybe. I don't know. What we should do is have someone from Norwegian on the podcast to talk about this. I know people there. We, should, we do know people I, there. I have, yeah. I have a feeling their answer will be very noncommittal at this point <laughs> and extremely unhelpful. <laughs> but that's okay. So a future episode request that, that we can make. But we did want to correct the record on that uh, because a, a few of you did email us and send us messages on Twitter to, to let us know that we were wrong. And as is the case on a, on a regular basis. Yeah, we, we never purport to be completely accurate. That would be boring. <laughs> you don't have a correction if you're, uh, exactly. if you're accurate all the time. So that is what has, has happened. We are corrected and moving on. So this week, Jason is in Stockholm for another day. You leave tomorrow. I have to check in for my flight home any, any minute now. Any minute now. And I'll be in Stockholm the, the rest of the week enjoying the company of the company, which has, uh, we've gotten quite a bit bigger. It's a, it's a full house in the office now. And, and we've been relegated to the, uh, the, the conference room. Uh, well, conference closet. Yeah. Conference closet. The yeah. Wi-Fi uh, is a little overburdened from the amount of people here, which is fun. But a lot of people here. There, there are a lot of people here. And, and we're going to enjoy the, the company, the rest of the office, for the rest of the day and get back to the normal podcasting next week where we don't have to look at each other, mm-hmm. uh, much which, uh, which will make for a much better podcast. So we're going to take a quick break and do some time travel, and we'll be back shortly with the rest of the show. Welcome back. We have moved to the next week. We have time traveled. It is now Tuesday, the 17th of December. We are both back from Stockholm. And Jason, you are just back from Detroit. Yes, hot off a couple A320s to and from Detroit today, out to Detroit on Delta, and then back on Spirit, both on A320COs. And went out there to check out Spirit's first aircraft with their new uh, new seats from nose to tail, and that was pretty cool. And how was that? They were seats. They were good. They they are much more comfortable than their current seats. If you've ever flown Spirit, you know that their seats can be kind of crunchy in the back of the plane, which is not great. 
but they've done a good job with Acro to carve out some more knee space. The new big front seats are also a lot more comfortable. They uh, they are the um, only seats I will sit in on on Spirit because I find it to be an extraordinarily good deal for the most part. I think I paid forty four dollars for what is basically equivalent to a first-class seat on any other airline in Spirit. So that was pretty good. Got to poke around in a A320neo that Spirit had just taken delivery of less than 10 days ago. Wow, it's only had one commercial flight so far. Um, That thing was shiny. Did it have that new plane smell? It did. And I learned something today that um, the hubcaps on the nose gear of an A320, did you know they're actually white? I don't think I ever considered what color the hubcaps on an A320's nose gear are. Because you'll never see it as white. As soon as they go into service, that thing accumulates dirt, grime, brake dust, whatever. It will never be white again. So that was something pointed out to me that I did not know and just a little interesting fact. Huh. Now now I'm going to spend the next uh, hours on jet photos staring at hubcaps on the A320 nose gear. You're welcome. <laughs> How was your trip back from Stockholm? Because last last we talked, we were sitting next to each other in Stockholm. So uh, d- you made it back okay. Yes, I got on a train to the airport. I got on a an airplane, and then the airplane went. Oh, right, I forgot we were, we were delayed. Yeah, we were like ninety minutes delayed because of getting some paperwork from Rolls Royce, which was annoying. But as the flight crew put it, this is an industry that dots every I and crosses every T and they cannot leave without said paperwork. So that that was good, but annoying. Everyone loves a 15-minute rolling delay getting a new update every 15 minutes that this time is definitely going to be for real that we're going to go. But the, you know, in the grand scheme of things, a 70-minute delay isn't the end of the world. Well, yeah, exactly. But it, it's always good to you know the, know that the engine is operating properly and have that paperwork ready to go. Yes, the engine functioned from continent to the other continent, so that was good. Excellent. Yes, no, no issues there. So let's dive into the major, not surprising news, but has anything sti- happened? Still shocking, I, I think. Boeing, as of January, will suspend production of the seven three seven Max. Yeah, this was bound to happen. They've been hinting at it and saying it's possible as remote a possibility as it may have been in the past. Now that the recertification has officially rolled over into 2020 at some point, as the FAA keeps saying, there is no timeline on this. It's done when it's done. But Boeing for a while was extremely insistent that it was going to get done in December. That's not true. That's not happening. They are apparently running out of places to put the 7.3 Maxes when they're delivered and immediately put into storage. And now they're going to halt production temporarily. We don't know how long this temporary shutdown last for. It could be a couple of days. It could be a couple of weeks. It could be months at this rate. We, we really don't have an idea, do we? No, we, we, we don't. I mean, it, the, the, I guess, best guess that I've seen from, from reputable publications who, whom I put some trust in are looking at between three and six months. Yeah. This is a, an extremely big deal and it, it's 
just kind of amazing how we've gone from the 7.3 Max will be available in summer 2019 for like a hot spare situation. Um, they, the American was very insistent that it will probably be ready by the summer peak of 2019. Now the question is, will it be ready for summer peak 2020? And for some airlines, that answer is um, maybe. That's, maybe, maybe not. That's not likely. Most airlines have removed it right up to the point where the summer peak season begins. I can't imagine airline schedule planners are too happy right now. There are, I'm sure there's a lot of route expansions and frequency enhancements that they wanted to make that now they, for yet another summer is not possible. Yeah, I was going back through all of this, you know, kind of the, the various statements that were made by airlines, by Boeing, and by the FAA. And on the 1st of April 2019, the FAA issued a statement that said the FAA expects to receive Boeing's final package of its software enhancement over the coming weeks for FAA approval. Whoops. And, and that was that was April. And granted, they, they didn't say that they would be approving anything right away, but, but things escalated and quickly. You know, as the case may be, and and now, you know, a few weeks ago, Boeing was insistent that it would be a done deal by the end of the year, and the FAA administrator uh, Stephen Dixon said, "Well, no, there is no timeline. We are not satisfied as of yet, and it will be 2020 before the aircraft is likely recertified." and it sounds like nothing is done yet. I, I, mean, no, I mean, as far as far as the the certification effort, nothing is a done deal. And then beyond the FAA recertifying the aircraft, there's still ESA, which says the the European Aviation Safety Agency, which says that they want to take a look at things for themselves. And then beyond that, how many other regulators are going to want to take a look at things for themselves? And IATA last two weeks ago in their in their meeting was strongly calling for a unified certification effort so so as not to damage future aircraft certifications so if the FAA moves ahead can they do they pull back until everyone's happy and and then it's recertified at once or does the FAA push ahead and say okay we're going to recertify the aircraft you guys can do what you want yeah it's a mess right now and that's obviously why this is taking so long. Yesterday, I, I went through some of the Boeing press releases over the past, I guess we're, we're nearing what, eight, nine months at this point. And it's been very interesting to see how their wording and how their tone has changed over that time. Ethiopian 302 crashed on March 10th, 2019. On March 11th, um, I'm paraphrasing here, I'm taking chunks of sentences. Boeing said, the 737 MAX is a safe airplane. On March 13th, two days later, Boeing continues to have full confidence in the safety of the 737 MAX. On March 18th, we're taking actions to fully ensure the safety of the 737 MAX. And flash forward to yesterday, December 16th, safely returning the 737 MAX to service is our top priority. So the wording over the course of just a few days changed tremendously and flash forward to now and it's um quite a bit different the level of confidence and well maybe actually this isn't a safe airplane and we have actual work to do they were very sure of themselves 
literally the day after the second crash of a Max, and say, literally saying, quoting here, the 737 Max is a safe airplane. That's not true. That wasn't true at the time. I still have a kind of hard time believing that top management at Boeing is still in place. They're still actively issuing dividends to their stockholders. There is a lot of grumbling around the industry that that management at Boeing has got to go. This is just absurd at this point. I, to I me, think personally, uh, yeah, I, I think it was the the Economist today has uh, has as its lead story on its on its website and its app, I believe, an editorial calling for the removal of of the CEO of Boeing, Dennis Muhlenberg, and replacing the top management, which I, I think is pretty incredible that we've gotten to this point. And it will be, I mean, we're not even guessing anymore. It will be a year before the aircraft is back in service with some airlines, yeah. if not all airlines. I mean, going back and reading some of these press releases is actually making me kind of angry that literally on March 11th, the day after Ethiopian went down, that they had the, uh, I don't even know what to call it, the, the chutzpah to say the 737 MAX is a safe airplane, blah, 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 blah. That wasn't true. And that still isn't true today. They have yet to prove that that is actually the case. These press statements, I'm kind of getting on a tangent here, but these press statements, the longer we go into this crisis now, the more egregious these press releases become in my mind. I never thought here would be, you know, calling for the resignation or the ousting of Boeing's, Boeing commercial CEO, but here we are. And we've heard very little from Boeing recently, haven't we? Well, I mean, I think part of that is you know, the ongoing congressional investigations into the 737 MAX. I think a big part of that is the fact that they want to see, be seen as doing work. And certainly they are. I mean, the work has been done on the software package. The work has been done on the hardware upgrades. So, I mean, I think I think that that is one thing that that is actually happening, whether or not things are are moving forward on a recertification front is another story because you're right, we, we haven't heard from them and we don't know. But the the relationship between Boeing, at least as it's at least as I'm reading it from their public statements uh, and reporting about how the certification efforts are going. The the relationship between Boeing and the FAA has certainly become less friendly. I mean, the a large portion of the discussion about the 737 MAX and its certification, initial certification centers around how much certification authority really was delegated to Boeing. And the FAA has swung the pendulum back well out of you know Boeing is going to be able to to issue airworthiness certificates to we're going to do everything we're going to do everything on our own time we don't have a, a date in mind to have this done it's going to take as long as it takes and, and you're going to sit there and do everything we tell you to do no matter what it is and so i think we've seen less and less from Boeing but more from the FAA Yes, and less from Boeing is probably good at this point because reading through these releases in the past just makes me angry how arrogant they were. Sure, I mean, and I think the the interesting thing here is that you know the as things have gone on, the FAA's language has become much more forceful. 
Yes, um, absolutely. And in both their releases and their public statements, I mean, the administrator Dixon was in front of Congress last week. And I watched a good chunk of the, I think it was five and a half hours he spent in front of the, the congressional committee. And he was very at his side. I forget the gentleman's name, but he had a, one of the, the technical folks from the FAA with him to answer any of the, the more technical questions from, from Congress people. And I thought they did a, I won't say a very good job. There were a, a few things that that I found I want to say irksome about their testimony, Administrator Dixon's especially. But generally, I thought that they they did a fine job explaining what was happening and, and what the FAA was doing. That doesn't necessarily go a long way to explaining what they did in the past, which is certainly what the the congressional committee was trying to get at. But like I said, that that pendulum has swung far in the in the direction of the FAA. You know, really, really running the show now. Right. So let's go back into the the land of facts and figures. The production halt, which will last, who knows at this point, will begin in January. So it wasn't an immediate thing. They announced it quite a bit ahead of time. Boeing has said that obviously they has continued to build new aircraft and store them literally wherever it can at this point. But they now have approximately 400 airplanes in storage, which is um, kind of stunning, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, and, and that is just undelivered aircraft undelivered. in storage. That doesn't, that doesn't account for aircraft that had already been delivered. There are roughly 700 or so, 700 and change, uh, 737 MAX out there that will need to be returned to service. So, so no small tax. It, think about it this way. If Ryanair or, or Southwest, roughly speaking, grounded their entire fleet for a year, and then had to restart all of those airplanes. Yeah. And th- that's a part of what drove the decision to make the grounding. And I'm going to quote from Boeing here in their release. This decision is driven by a number of factors, including the extension of certification to 2020, the uncertainty about the timing and conditions of return to service and global training approvals, and the importance of ensuring that we can prioritize the delivery of stored aircraft. So they're they're clearly saying that they've gotten to the point where they have so many parked aircraft that when they need to reactivate them and get them eventually back into service, it's going to be so all hands on deck to do that, that to me, it seems like they're not going to have the personnel to both manufacture new aircraft and get existing aircraft into the air. Right. And it's unclear to me how, I think it's unclear to everyone how the workforce, because Boeing has said they're they're not going to furlough anybody. They're not going to, to lay anybody off. So that's 12,000 people that are building the 737 who now need to do something else for who knows how long. I mean, certainly the they, they've said that they're going to have some people continue to work on the 737 program. So so one assumes that entails a, a good-sized team continuing to, to work on you know process improvements and maybe training, tooling, et cetera. But that still leaves thousands of people you know, looking to do something. So I hopefully we'll find out soon what what ends up happening there. But that that's a it's going to be a a lot of people sitting around. Yep. All right. I feel like that's enough about the max. What else we got? <laughs> okay. Fair enough. How about an electric beaver? Uh, what? You heard me. Okay. Explain. I will. So Harbor Air, the Canadian uh, seaplane operator. Converted a DHC-2 Beaver 
to an all-electric aircraft. That's a seaplane, by the way. Yes, because they're a seaplane operator. They, uh, in Vancouver last week, took up the all-electric Beaver for its first flight. And so this is the first all-electric commercial aircraft. And so hopefully, we'll see that you know, carrying passengers. It's got a long way to go until it's certified and things like that. But it's it's a really neat thing to see. And it's, um, you know, I, I think something that I'm looking forward to possibly going on in the future. Yeah. I uh, don't really know how they'll charge this thing. I, I figure if you can charge up a Tesla at a Burger King, you can probably charge this up somewhere on a dock. But I am genuinely excited to see where they go with this. I was sad I couldn't make it out there for the first flight because I was flying from Stockholm back to uh, Newark. And I, I just think this is really cool. Since these flights are, are not of long duration and they could power these short hops from seaport to seaport, I guess, with existing battery technology, not like um, powering a, a larger commercial airplane with future battery technology since lithium ion just won't get it done. But this is exciting. I, I, I thought it was – I tweeted this out a couple of days ago. I thought it was very ironic that one of the photos I saw come out from Harbor Air had this electric beaver taking off in the foreground and in the background – was one of WestJet's grounded 737 Maxes, and I thought that was just very, very odd. That that combination there, something old that's become new. It's an old airframe that is now new, injected with new life, and it's hopefully becomes a, a good thing, a, a hopeful future. And in the background, you've got something old that was modified into something new, and is a very terrible new. I hope the two aircraft have very different futures ahead of them. Qantas has uh, said that they have a preferred aircraft now for the Project Sunrise flights. So they completed the last Project Sunrise test flight just a few hours ago, the third flight from New York to or the third Project Sunrise test flight overall and the second from New York to Sydney, 19 hours, 31 minutes all in good fun. And now they've said that they have the preferred aircraft. They say preferred because they haven't actually ordered it and it doesn't actually exist. Right. I, I, I have a question though. No questions. Uh, the, the, well, too bad. These <laughs> these uh, Project Sunrise test flights sure, were sure. to determine, I guess, the the necessary modifications or the necessary requirements to actually pick one of these aircraft, right? No. No? No. The, the test flights themselves had – I mean – I'm sure there was some small component there, but the test flights themselves were geared towards understanding the the human physiological element. Was was none of it about the aircraft itself? I thought there was some bit of that. There may have been a, a small bit, but really because they were using the 787-9 as the test flights, there there's no you know comparison. They they just there's no way to you know kind of fit fit that in at least as as I understood it, um, the test flights were more about determining pilot rest and and customer comfort and, and things like that to explore options and and really get some some sleep sleep data 
that they could use. No, I, to, I guess that for these must flights. have been it, since um, obviously they they announced the aircraft they were going to choose for this well before the final flight was ever actually conducted. Right. So that that does make sense, doesn't it? Right. So we we should probably mention that the preferred aircraft is the A three fifty one thousand, slightly modified. Slightly modified. They're they're going to add a fuel tank and increase the maximum takeoff weight to ensure that the New York, Sydney, and uh, London, Sydney flights are able to to operate at full load. So passengers, cargo, what have you. So the, the idea is that with these slight modifications, don't call it a ULR, uh, I, I don't think. I'm sure they'll want to come up with their own you know, fancy marketing yeah, title. Yeah, it's just going to be called the A350-1000 Extra Tank. Extra Tank. Ooh. I actually kind of like that. Yeah. What are you flying today? I'm flying the extra tank. I should copyright that. <laughs> Get on it. So that happened this week, which is to say that nothing really happened. I mean, it's you know, good they to know. They announced their intention to announce a thing later. Right. That is correct. Which is, you know, it's like a, it's not even a letter of intent. I mean, it's kind of a- it's not. It's essentially nothing. No, it, it, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of like what. What it, it, it's. Uh, it's like I'm going to negotiate for something, and and that you know just announcing a negotiation. But it'll be interesting to to see what comes of that, and if in fact Qantas decides to go down the Project Sunrise road. The last uh, big sticking point, of course is crew legality or, or crew contracts to make it through the 20 plus hours. Um, yeah. Good luck on yeah. that, Qantas. You're so, going to need it. So we'll, we'll see what they have going there. What do you say we take a quick break and come back and discuss a seemingly long list of airlines that have stopped operating throughout the year in, in 2019? And, and we keep adding and removing a couple airlines to the end of this list because the year's not over. The year is not over, but but we're going to do our best. So stay with us after uh, after a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are now into the portion of the year where we get to discuss what has happened to the aviation industry, and this year. Like last year, unfortunately, there were a number of airlines that went out of business, went bankrupt, were subsumed into other – their fleets became other airlines. Or just said, we're done here. Or just uh, walked away. Last year, there were some notable – there were some notable airlines like Primera, Small Planet, Saratov. But, but this year – there were some big names. Yeah, that, it uh, seemed like had the big same number of airlines, 2018 and 2019, but 2019 had far larger airlines vanish overnight. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, wow, Jet Airways, Avianca Brazil, XL, which wasn't huge, but, you know, was there. And then obviously the Thomas Cook and Adria Airways. So, some long-standing air. I mean, Adria was in business for nearly sixty years. Jet had a fleet of, I mean, hundreds of aircraft and had hundreds more on order at the time they went out of business. They're probably still coming off the max on now. Yeah, I mean, some of them are half painted, and so I mean, those will obviously not be going to Jet, but we'll need to find new customers. The A three thirty Neo that was destined for Wow was delivered to in Garuda. to CityLink. 
in wow livery with white engines, I think, just last week. So, I mean, it, a lot has happened this year to, to consolidate flying, but also some rather surprising examples of airlines that are no longer flying. And then some not so surprising examples. I mean, Thomas Cook had been in trouble for a while. Avianca Brazil had stopped paying for their planes. Wow. Can we say overreached? They did. Overdid a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, when your name is wow, kind of expected. But then some others that were just kind of victims of circumstance, like Fly Jamaica. Fly Jamaica. Yeah, that's a good example. That was one that was always on my mind of one day they're just going to disappear and one day they did just disappear. Yeah. And, and we'll get into a little more detail of why. Sure. Sure. But, but so that's, um, how should we organize this conversation? I Randomly? Just, just pull them out of a hat. I have a bunch of airlines pulled up on Wikipedia here on my iPad. We could go left to right. Left to right it is. Jason, start us off. All right. First up is fly BMI. British Midland Regional Limited, formerly branded as BMI Regional. They they were around for a good while, 1987 through February 16th, 2019. Ended up at the end of its run with a fleet of, let's see, I think it was E-140s and E-145s, right? Yep. E-135s and E-145s, a total of 17 aircraft, according to Wikipedia, which is always correct and never wrong. Just like us. Oh, just like us. Um, towards the end of their run, 2017, they flew uh, over half a million passengers. So they weren't tiny. They weren't huge, but they definitely weren't tiny. But apparently their load factor was also an average of 57%, which is not good when so you're flying small everybody gets, the, everybody gets their own row on yeah. 45 Yeah, so Fly BMI was one of the early victims of 2019. What's next? Insulair. Okay, regional carrier in the in the Caribbean that was I think best known for its approach photographs from St. Martin. Yes, they were a Dutch Caribbean carrier that served as the national airline of Curacao. Did not know that. Did not know that. No. At the end of its run, it featured a fleet of uh, Fokker fifties because I think that was all that had not been repossessed to that point. At some point, they did have MD eighty threes, which I think I saw in Miami and St. Martin a good number of times. Mm-hmm. I was actually at St. Martin when one of the Insular MD-83s lined up with the runway about as close to the beach fence as they possibly could have. And they had a tendency to put on the parking brake and throttle up the engines for way longer than they actually needed to, to, you know, put on a bit of a show. Sure, sure. That that was fun. I don't think anyone out there really does that anymore because I don't... Are there really any rear engine mounted aircraft that fly into St. Martin anymore? Uh, of that size? Probably the odd like a you know, like cargo, cargo something. something. Yeah, not a scheduled daily no. passenger service. Those are long gone. But that that was always interesting. I'll miss them. But towards the end of the run they ended up with just three Fokker fifties. They um had some MD eighty twos, MD eighty threes, nothing substantial, but they were I guess a victim of the economy in that region. Cool. Where do we go next? I will keep going. Next randomly on the list, uh, Wisdom Airways. Okay. It was a regional airline operating in northwestern Thailand with its base in Chiang Mai. May 13th, 2019, the airline suspended having only started up, founded in 2017. So, so a, a truly su- a success story. Yeah, yeah. They operated several Cessna 208 caravan aircraft. It had plans, big plans, to acquire a uh, Twin Otter. Okay. That, that did not happen. No. No. 
have no information about why they went out of business. I'm going to assume that they ran out of money. Okay. All right. They announced on October 1st, 2019, on their official Facebook page, that they'd be suspending all operations until further notice. So, yeah. That sounds like some of the other airlines, like Atlas Global, which is not technically bankrupt yet, but they yeah. have suspended operations. And They're out of business. They're gone. We'll They're not see. coming back. No. Their aircraft are now uh, scattered around uh, France, really. Yeah. The, uh, is it just France? Well, there's a couple other. Uh, I think uh, either Ireland or, or um, it might be the UK and Ireland. But uh, So let's get into they're, some, they're some real airlines here. Jet Airways was probably by far the largest airline in 2019 to bite the dust. Yeah, I, I mean, they... Not probably, but they were by far the largest. Yeah, they were going strong. Until they weren't. Until they weren't. I think they were, if not recapitalized a number of times, they raised funds a number of times to continue operations and then just kind of ran out of ran out of steam. Yeah. They had a good number of aircraft on order in their long-haul fleet. They had also a good deal of 777-300ERs, A330s, quite a global network. They operated to JFK for a number of years up until um, – they didn't, apparently. They just kind of stopped that route one day. I think they actually flew from Belgium to JFK, I think. Uh, I think they had a little mini hub there yeah, a couple yeah. years ago. But, yeah, it just it, they never quite rebounded. Uh, according to Wikipedia, as of to November 2018, Jet Airways had been reported of negative financial impact due to increasing losses, and they were just never able to turn it around. No, they left, I mean, like we mentioned earlier, they, they left an order book in the hundreds. And, and so it, it, that's kind of been written off. It was in question not long after they placed the order. And then uh, it was just kind of, uh, you know, faded away as, as they went out of business. But they had, uh, you know, I forget how many hundred, was it a uh, hundred plus a hundred in the yeah, uh, they have, in the 737 um, Max? They had eight 737 Max eight delivered and 142 left pending and 75 max nines in order along with 10 787 so Okay. So that was, one yeah. hurt Boeing. Yeah. So, I bit. mean, that, that was, that was quite the order that, that just never, never went anywhere. Yeah. Their Wikipedia page is a little, they have a, an entire tab called controversies. Yes. And some okay. of the um, subtopics are trademark infringement, safety, customer care, corruption, and the last one, I, I'm not going to get into, but it's just called Links to Underworld. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Where should we go next? <laughs> um, how about Adria? Adria. Okay. So the a, flag carrier of Slovenia. Yeah. I mean, uh, anytime the flag carrier of any country goes out of business, not so good. Um, but Adria didn't have a huge fleet, but they, they operated, I mean, for quite some time. Yeah, towards the end of its life, they only had 20 aircraft in service, three A319s, a couple uh, CRJ700s and 900s, and a couple Saab 2000s, apparently. Yeah. At least from, uh, oh, at least two Swiss. Okay. It's different. Yeah, this Adria was a long-running airline. They were founded in March of 1961, 58 years ago. So they, they were not a newcomer by any means. Uh, commenced December 1961, ceased operations September 30th, 2019. Again, kind of unceremoniously, wasn't it? Yeah, there was, uh, we're going to stop here the last couple flights, and then they 
flew all the planes back home and, and said that's it. Mm. Adria had um, – did you know they had transatlantic flights to the U.S. and Canada back in the day with DC-8s? I did not know that, but that today, sounds like fun. Today you learned. Exactly. Oh, they, they launched in 1972 and withdrew that service the following year. <laughs> so it worked so that out well for yeah, them. That did not last long. No. But they they have some interesting history. They, they flew DC-6s, DC-8s, Caravels, DC-9s, DC-H-7s, A320s. So they, they were kind of – all over the place, but uh, didn't have quite the stellar reputation towards the end of their life. Where do we go next? Mm. How about Avianca Brazil? Okay. When you don't have enough money to pay for your planes and your planes start getting repossessed, things don't look good. Yes. And it's always important to remember when talking about Avianca Brazil, it has nothing to do with regular Avianca. Right. Which is always strange. They, It's a weird arrangement where they leased the Avianca brand name for operation of basically what is an entirely separate, unique airline. And it ended up being a poor choice on Avianca's part. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. So yeah, they towards the end of its life, they were slowly having their fleet picked away by the Lisi Lessors. Yeah, Lessors. Yeah, slowly being repossessed aircraft by aircraft. Their 330s for any long-haul flights, like up to New York, were gone. Um, not that they had many to begin with, but it was sad. Sad state of affairs. Uh, Brazil is a tough market. And Avianca Brazil did not have what it took to survive in that market. Where to? Germania. Germania. In Germany. Huh. Yeah. Who, who would have guessed, right? I, I didn't have that one in the on the bingo card. Hmm. Okay. Germania was a privately owned German airline with its headquarters in Berlin. Founded 1978. Ceased operations February 5th, 2019. So another... Airline that had pretty good history. That, yeah, this, uh, this was one of the, the first carriers that, that went out this year. And we talked about it in, in a previous episode as they went out of business. And I, and I believe this is where we misspoke and called them a low-cost carrier. And they, they weren't necessarily a, a low-cost carrier as, as one understands it, but a, a lower, lower cost but still full-service carrier. Yeah. It looks like, again, this is according to Wikipedia, so your mileage may vary, but it looks like things went wrong in 2012. They were somehow turning a profit through the Great Recession 2007 through 2012, which is bizarre. And then 2013 came around, and they swung from making a half-million-dollar profit in 2012 to 2013, where they lost 10 million euros. And then 2014, they lost 26 million euros. And then 2015, they lost... Six million, so they turned it around, but what the hell happened there? That's bizarre. How do you survive the, the economic downturn and then lose all that money when the economy is on the upswing? I don't know. And that's probably why they went out of business. The, one assumes that that is, is how things happen. That's bizarre. Towards the end of its life, not a super exciting fleet. 19 A319s. Six 321s, a couple 737-700s. They actually had 25 A320neos on order, which I did not know. Yeah, I did. I didn't know that. Either. They were due to be delivered from 2020. So, uh, nope. Those are going to go to somebody else. Somebody then. else just had a couple slots open up for Airbus. So, nice. so two French carriers went out of business. Uh, it, it read in almost quick succession. We had Alizur and XL Airways. XL Airways with a, a fleet of, what, four A330s? And we had uh, a few A330s as well that would, had come from another bankrupt airline and then went right back into storage. So not a huge capacity loss, but certainly a loss for the, the south of France, as it were. 
with the leisure carriers there. And then I think the the big one through the end of the year was Thomas Cook. Yeah, Thomas Cook was not the biggest airline on this list, but a substantially sized airline, especially given their their holiday nature, I guess, yeah. branding a lot of people in a lot of places. Right. So the resulting repatriation effort out of the Thomas Cook bankruptcy was called the largest peacetime repatriation effort ever undertaken. And so that uh, that Operation Matterhorn that we talked about in, in previous episodes uh, had, had an outsized impact, I think, on at least European market for some time. So all in all, kind of an impactful year of airline bankruptcies. Not like we said, not a huge difference in numbers year over year from, from 2018 to 2019. But there were some that, that had a lot of history and there were some that had a lot of promise that kind of ended spectacularly. Like, wow. Did we mention wow? We mentioned wow. Okay. So, I mean, we, we can talk about them maybe in a future episode or a little bit later in this show as we talk about what we're looking forward to next year. But WOW version 1.0 is done, and we'll see where we go from there. So stay with us. We'll be back after a quick break, and we'll talk about what's going to happen in 2020. So to carry on, we've got Atlas Global resuming operations maybe at the end of this week. Yeah, sure. Maybe. Why not? Uh, whatever. <laughs> you, sound, they come, you sound very invested in this, Jason. If they come back, that's, they, they've proven us all wrong, proven that it is possible to resume operations. I'm sure it's happened in the past, but I can't instill much confidence for in passengers. Come on. Well, I, yeah, no, I, I would still be reticent to, to fly an airline that had ceased operations due to financial difficulties and then promised to restart them. I would be very cautious. We can name a weirder one than that, though. Let's do it. Do it. Actually, speaking of airlines that ceased operations and came back, because they closed up shop in 2007, 2008, and then restarted operations. And then last week, FAT, Far Eastern Air Transport, announced that they were closing up shop. No, not just kidding. Exactly. Because then they came out a few days later and said, no, 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 we're going to keep operating. We announced our closure by mistake. Now, <laughs> question the first, bro. question the first, how do you mistakenly announce that you're going bankrupt? I, I, I don't understand this one bit. And this is, this is an airline that still operates a fleet of only MD-80s, I think? Uh, MD-80s and, and I believe a few ATRs. Oh. Uh, so the, the whole thing is, is very strange to me. And so by mistakenly announcing that they were going bankrupt, there is a possibility that they could actually go bankrupt now well, because like, the regulator it, told them, you can't do that. Well, didn't their, their, the chairman say like uh, they announced it while I was gone and, and they're wrong and I'm back and we're not? He now? was missing for weeks. I don't, this is bizarre. The I mean, this whole is a thing Taiwanese is airline, right? Correct. Yeah, this, this is just, I don't know. I've, I've never heard of anything quite like this before I, in any business. Yeah, it's so the timeline goes is the, the CEO goes, goes for a wander. The airline 
and and I'm using air quotes here, mistakenly announces that it's bankrupt. A week later, the airline says, no, 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 we're not bankrupt. And the regulator goes, well, since you announced you were going bankrupt and stopping flights without notice, we might fine you enough to make you actually go bankrupt. Uh, what? So I I don't know. The whole thing is bizarre to me. Very, very bizarre. But there you are. So, 2019, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, th- this year, I, I tell you what. Let's finish up our weirdly long and rambling list of airlines with almost and possibly and could be shutting down. Hong Kong Airport Authority, in an effort to to squeeze the money that is owed them out of Hong Kong Airlines, seized seven of their planes. Not the flying ones, but seven of the ones that they have stored. Yeah, I, I would assume- this so I don't a, know how a, that works. A, this is a best guess, but I assume HK is not paying their, their parking fees or, or some other fees that they owe the airport. So the airport authority said, okay, I'm taking these holding them as collateral until they get paid. And if they don't get paid, they get to keep them and they get to sell them. And it looks like a couple A320s are, are going to be quite valuable on the market these days. That whole thing is is rather incredible to me that they're just, they're just sitting there and then they become property. Is it? I wonder if it'd be one of those things where you end up, was it the 3747s in, was it Kuala Lumpur? That got seized and then sat there and then left there and then abandoned and then sold and then abandoned again. And I think they're still there. It's almost like a best case scenario here. If the airline can't pay to operate them, they probably also can't pay to keep them properly maintained. And there's limited space in Hong Kong, so they don't want space taken up. So they'll just take the airplanes and repossess them and get paid and by the the whoever leases it out to HKA and uh, the airplanes will go away. Someone else will take them. This year Everybody has just wins. been a very – it's like playing 3D chess with uh, I don't even know what. A toddler. I'm sure 2020 will be perfectly normal. Oh, of course. No worries. Of Everything course. will be good. Yeah. So as the year winds down, this is our last show of the year because the – Two weeks from from time puts us into into 2020. So our next episode, because it falls on on the week of New Year's, we are going to take a small break. We'll have a good compendium of, of what we think are some of the the best interviews that we've done over the past year, some of the most fun that we've had over the past year, and we'll have those for you in two weeks. And then two weeks after that, Jason and I will be back with our first show of 2020, assuming that you know nothing happens between now and then that warrants us running back to the microphone. But this year has just been, I don't even know how to describe this year. Uh, let's just end it. <laughs> let's just end it. Thank you, everyone who has listened to this podcast, whether it's been one episode or or all 73 episodes now. We truly appreciate it. Um, if you have not told your friends about us and you would like to, please do so. Leave us a, a rating, a review, 
tell your friends, tell your relatives, tell anybody that, that they should listen to this podcast. It certainly helps people find the podcast when, when you tell them about them, but ratings and reviews also help as well. iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to the podcast, we truly appreciate it. 73 episodes in, Jason, what do you say we call it a year and come back in 2020? All right. 2020, going to be a, a year. It certainly is. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz, and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.